0: I don't know about you, but I am still a little stuffed from Thanksgiving. So this year, it was just Susan and Neely and me, but we had a ton of food. and, And Susan made the observation that she and Neely had spent three days preparing a meal that it took us just 20 minutes to eat. So, the good news is, is that we have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I think, until this coming Friday, set aside for our family. So, Thanksgiving felt a little different for our family without my mom. On November the 7th, we took mom for an ultrasound on her leg, which turned into an unexpected 10 day stay at St. Thomas West. We transferred her a week ago Friday to Vanderbilt Stalworth for physical therapy, and the good news for us is that she's coming home this coming Wednesday. So, it's been a long three weeks, and we are so appreciative of all of those who have called or who, who have stopped by to see Mom. So my brother, who lives in Smyrna with his family, we coordinated together time spent with Mom at the hospital, and I have another brother who lives in Atlanta who drove up and spent a night. And I'm realizing that, that as we get older, these are the times that my family gathers together. Weddings and funerals, and then when someone's in the hospital. And so this past Thursday, all of the Nashville area Hutchins were able to gather together in my mom's hospital room, and it didn't seem like much, but with busy schedules, getting us all together in the same place sometimes takes what I call UN-level negotiations. I don't know if your family's like that at all. But mom loved it. A week ago, she had and and some of you have seen this if you've had parents or or people that you love in the hospital. She had what a doctor called hospital delirium and had difficult time even forming words, but with family surrounded around her bed, she was lucid again and she jumped back into the conversation. She was transformed. She came alive. So my side of the family does not gather together very often, but when we do, we pick up where we left off and we press in quickly to engage each other. Now Susan's family is different. There is not a celebration that they don't love. Over the years, they have always looked for a reason to descend on Inman, South Carolina, which is close to where Farrell grew up, where Susan's mom and her older sister and now her twin sister live. Susan's family gathers for the sheer joy of getting together. They love a party. They love lively conversation about all the people that they know. Susan's sister got married last weekend, and I think the entire town of Inman showed up and danced late into the evening. A wedding is just another reason to have a party and to see old friends. When Susan's family gathers, it's always a happening. Some of us love to gather, and we'll gather with anyone and everyone. We're not selective, we just love being around people. Others of us like to gather with people with whom we have a deep relationship. We love the high level of trust and deep friendship already present. Some of us want to have a purpose to gather together. Others of us want to know what's going to be accomplished by gathering. Others enjoy complete surprise of gathering, knowing that something novel and interesting is going to happen when people just get together. In fact, one of the best books on people gathering together that I've read is one by Priya Parker, and I can't recommend that enough if you're someone who likes to gather people together around you. She starts off her book by saying this, she asks the question, Why do we gather? We gather to solve problems we can't solve on our own. We gather to celebrate, to mourn, and to mark transitions. We gather to make decisions. We gather because we need one another. We gather to show strength. We gather to honor and acknowledge. We gather to build companies, and schools, and neighborhoods, and I would add churches. We gather to welcome, and we gather to say, goodbye. You might say that if to be human is to be relational, then the power of relationship is in our gathering together. So what happens, do you think, when God gathers people together? Now, that's not an unusual thing to ask in our setting. We made the decision this morning to get up and go to church, but wasn't it God who made the invitation? Isn't it God who gives us a sense of expectancy when we worship together? Does God provide the purpose for our gathering? Does God give us the grace and the strength to gather even when we don't feel like gathering? When relationships are hard, when there are other places we'd rather be, when we wonder what the point might be to being church, to doing church, or to living church, with one another. So to ask the question about God gathering directs us to a reason for gathering that doesn't simply arise out of my own desire to be with others. We presume that God has a reason and a purpose for us being together. We believe when we read in the Bible the stories and thoughts of those whom God gathered long before us, that there is something powerful and transforming that can happen when God does the gathering. And that's what we see in our three scriptures this morning. The prophet Ezekiel makes his pronouncement as God's people have been living in exile in Babylon. They've been taken from their homes, from the land they have known, from their livelihoods. They are now living as a displaced people and all the markers that would give them a sense of identity are gone, except one, Ezekiel promises them that the God they believe in has not forgotten them. And as a shepherd gathers his sheep together, so too will God once again gather God's people. Now, the great thing about the prophets is that they recast God-shaped vision of what life looks like, not only that speaks to the future, but also enlivens hope in the presence. And so what Ezekiel gives the people of God in exile is a present hope that God continues to work and to be active in their lives. God continues to call them to be a people. God continues to shape purpose and to instill confidence, even when the external, visible, and traditional signs have been removed. So in the New Testament, which Pharaoh read this morning, 500 years after Ezekiel, the writers of the New Testament are deeply knowledgeable of the things the prophets have said before them, prophets like Ezekiel. So when Paul writes his letter to the Ephesians, which we read this morning, he's writing to a people who also feel like they are in exile from their true home. But instead of being taken from a geographical location, they are people displaced in culture, living and and representing a radically different vision of life than those who live around them. And so Paul speaks to a hope that they too, as the people of God, have not been forgotten. In fact, not only have they not been forgotten, they carry inside of them a transforming identity, transforming not just for themselves, but for the world around them. Jesus, and being resurrected, Paul says, has the name that's above every name, possesses dominion and power and authority over the earthly powers and spiritual powers and principalities, and what's more, the Ephesians are the living presence of Christ in the world. They are gathered together as the body of Christ. Now, what this might look like, I think it's, it's best described by Jesus himself. At the end of Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 25, Jesus casts vision on on how God's people will practice God's presence in the world. And in this passage, Jesus too speaks of gathering people together. But here Jesus uses a form of literature called apocalyptic. And apocalyptic in the first century was a way of using very symbolic word pictures to paint an image of the future being realized right now in the present. This is what Jesus does. So the word picture that Jesus paints is a scene where all the people of the world are present before God, and in Jesus' description, God gathers together and separates out those who have responded in love and compassion to God's purposes as creator of all humankind, of God's mission to bless all the peoples and the nations, and indeed, God's very healing presence. And just as in Ezekiel, the image of God is of a shepherd who gathers his sheep together. Here too, Jesus gathers his flock, and who are gathered? The ones who have faithfully lived out the spirit of Christ. Those who like God have cared for what Jesus calls the least of these. He says, imagining the question of of who have lived out the love of God for others, he says, and when was it that you saw the sick or in prison or visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, Just as you did it to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. And so taken together, these three passages remind us that God gathers God's people to be the body of Christ. God gathers God's people to renew them and to fill them with hope. And as the body of Christ, we are gathered together to remember the hurting and the broken, the least of these, Jesus says. And the good news is, in my two years of being here at this church, has been the opportunity to see the hundreds of ways that this church lives this out in powerful ways. Jerry Johnson forwarded me an email from Sarah Drury and Denise Sessler this past week describing some of the work that's being done at Fall Hamilton and that they've done this past fall, and then also recasting some vision of what they're going to do this coming spring. And as many of you know, Fall Hamilton is an elementary school that's right off of Wedgwood Avenue that Woodmont has supported for many years. And it was absolutely amazing to see the hundred or so names of Woodmont members who assist in sponsoring classrooms or tutoring students. The Woodmont team is helping with a holiday gift shop on December the 15th, where they get to purchase uh, the students, get to purchase items with gift shop bucks that they've earned uh, with good behavior. And they're looking for also for a few, few more folks who can help out with that, so you can get in touch with Denise or Sarah if you'd like to help out for that. But they've also been thinking about the spring parking lot ministry, which this past fall raised over $6,000 for a field field trip for their school. So there's great work being done at Fall Hamilton. We are, are definitely better together. And that's the encouragement I want to leave you with this morning. That our gatherings matter. There are spiritual dynamics at play when God's people are together that we can't even see when they are happening, but they are real and they have impact. When God's people gather, the atmosphere shifts, the culture changes, and friends' people's lives are changed. And if you ask any one of our staff, and and from what I think I know about our incredible staff, they will tell you this is why they are in ministry, and specifically congregational ministry because we believe together that when God's people are gathered, the world transforms in the direction of shalom or God's divine healing and holy peace in which all of creation thrives. And so here's why Woodmont Church gathers. We gather because we are thankful and we celebrate better together. One of the things I love about our Advent and our church are all the ways that we celebrate the coming of Christ from worship to hanging of the greens next Sunday to nothing short of that incredible outreach of walk through Bethlehem. And have I mentioned there are still a few places to sign up if you want to. We gather together because we are stronger together. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves, but a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And when I reflect on what we have experienced in 2023, I am overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by how much support and generosity and resiliency this church family has shown for each other. I believe this is by God's design. Stronger together, we stand firmly in our mission of offering the healing and encouragement of Jesus to our dear ones who are hurting. We gather together as we step into our purpose together. One of the joys of my job at Widmont is to create opportunities that showcase how others are leaning into their heart for missions And I love how at our mission fair this past August, we had over 40 different mission organizations represented. The heartbeat of our church, I believe, is to help people discover and thrive in the thing that God has created them to do. And my prayer for this church, my prayer for you in 2024, is that if you haven't already, that you discover a ministry that helps your spirit come alive. And finally, we gather together because we bring the peace of Christ together. I think this is our core message in 2024. With news of conflict in the Middle East and still conflict in Ukraine, with an election on the horizon, with our city growing and stretching in ways um, no one 30 years ago could have imagined, It may be that the very best thing we could be for our community is to be a place where people can take a deep breath, where they can connect with others who just genuinely care about them, and where they discover the immense love of a God who is at work calling them to be the very best and most joy-filled versions of themselves. And so as we prayerfully prepare for our celebration of Advent and Christmas together, I want to offer you uh, this quote from a Franciscan writer, Richard Rohr, to begin us on our journey. He says this, he says, prayer is sitting in the silence until it silences us, choosing gratitude until we are grateful, and praising God until we ourselves are an act of praise. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious God, let that be our prayer, that we are able, even in this busy season in front of us, to find moments of silence where we can hear your voice and respond to your love, and that through our lives, God, We offer you the praise, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.